0: to us that come by God's creation. to summarize this Sunday's theme than these, which you'll all be singing while the sacrament is being distributed. Our theme today is this, that we are saved by grace alone. What does this mean? It means that God rescues us from our sin, from death and from eternal sorrow, not by any works which we have done or must still do, but solely by his grace which is revealed and offered in his Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. To be saved by grace means that rather than counting our many sinful thoughts, words, and deeds against us, which certainly deserve his punishment, God instead forgives them. God doesn't ignore sin. He forgives sin. He forgives sin because he punished sin. God's grace excludes our merit and worthiness. This is what makes it grace, but it does not exclude merit and worthiness. God is gracious to us for the sake of the merit and worthiness of his son, Jesus Christ, who, having become our brother in the flesh and substitute under the law, lived a perfectly obedient life and willingly bore our punishment in our place. For Jesus' sake, God freely forgives And bestows his favor. We receive his forgiveness and favor by faith. That is, when we believe that Jesus is who he is and did what he did, and that God truly raised him from the dead, and that for his sake God is indeed now gracious and propitious toward us. This faith, this confidence and trust toward God, this ability to believe God's wonderful promise and stake our very lives and eternal happiness on it. This itself is also the gift of God. We did not convince ourselves the Holy Spirit has persuaded us by pure grace to accept and embrace that peace which surpasses understanding, that grace which your flesh actively... your flesh actively opposes doesn't know how to hold on to, because it is too wonderful for flesh and blood. And yet the Holy Spirit works this faith in you through the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for everybody. The gospel is God's message to you, to each one of you, that he is not angry at you for your sin, but regards you as favorably and kindly for Jesus' sake in whose righteousness he clothes you in your baptism. And this is what we mean by grace alone. And there is no greater theme than this. This is our weekly and daily theme in life. This is the reason we gather together to hear his word. But on this particular Sunday in the church here, Septuagesima, we especially focus on this great truth which distinguishes our one true faith. From every other false faith. It is the defining distinction of all religions. The religion revealed by Jesus is the religion of divine grace. It is the religion from the beginning of the ages revealed to Adam and Noah. When we continue to study in Bible class. And throughout all the generations of his people. It is the religion of divine grace. Every other religion ever invented differs only in trifling externals compared to this one thing which they all have in common. They are religions of the law. They are religions of human works to make up for for sins that humans have committed. They are religions of pointless self-denial to earn God's approval. They are religions that teach men to vainly aspire for what man can never reach on his own. Only the religion which Christ has taught us teaches unequivocally that a sinner is saved, justified, declared righteous, forgiven, entirely by pure grace alone, by God's work in Christ, grace that is freely offered and made accessible to you through the forgiveness of your sins, which you have all now just received. No other religious teacher will show you the Father, because no other man or angel has made full atonement for all your sins. No other religious teacher or guru can show us the Father, because no one but Jesus came forth from the Father with the command to bear our sin. No other spiritual path can give us peace with the one true, righteous, and holy God, because no spiritual path exists that takes the law so completely seriously. Jesus alone, who fulfilled the law with perfect obedience from the depth of his human heart and soul, he alone also received in the same heart and soul and in his human flesh the full penalty of all human transgression ever and yet to come. Those who promise peace by means of your obedience to this law or that cheat the law of God of what it truly requires, the only one who does not cheat the law is also the only one who who opens salvation to all of us apart from the law. Only by pure grace. Only Jesus reveals to us the one true God who no longer sees our sins or condemns us, but who rewards us with eternal life entirely by virtue of what his own dear Son, our brother Jesus Christ, has done in our place. Alleluia. Alleluia means praise the Lord. From this great truth, every true Alleluia springs. But I suppose this will be our final Alleluia for some time, unless one or two might accidentally slip in. I'd like to explain why this is so, before we return briefly to our gospel lesson and examine how our Lord's parable so excellently emphasizes this wonderful theme of grace alone, we're going to study a little bit right now the, the nature of the penitential season which we now enter. Today is Septuagesima. Today we initiate the pre-Lent season when we count down about 70 days until Easter. Septuagesima is Latin for 70th. Next week is sexagesima, and then comes quinquagesima, which mean 60th and 50th, respectively. With these symbolic 10-day weeks, we are counting down until Easter when we celebrate our Lord's resurrection from the dead. After these three Sundays comes Lent, Now, seeing the symbolism behind a 40-day season of Lent really should be easy enough. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness after they were set free from bondage in Egypt and before they entered the Promised Land. By the grumbling we heard in our Old Testament lesson this morning, we get an idea of why it took them so long. God tested them for 40 years. They failed. But God nonetheless finally did lead them into the promised land by grace. The first Sunday in Lent is where we hear of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days. So you see the connection. Jesus did not complain, Jesus passed every test. The 40 days of Lent are a time of repentance and fasting for us Christians to reflect on our own failures, just like the Israelites, and on how much we depend on Jesus' success as our Savior. The symbolism is clear, and it's really quite beautiful. So then, what is the symbolic significance of Septuagesima, of 70 days? And if Lent is a time of personal preparation for us to focus ourselves on repentance, temperance, Self control and self denial before Easter. Why do we need a season of preparation before our preparation? We prepare to prepare. I think this is worth explaining. The 70 days which we begin today on Septuagesima symbolize the 70 years of captivity which the children of Judah endured in Babylon many generations after they entered the Promised Land. God let the wicked pagans of Babylon destroy Jerusalem and the temple and carry away his own people as exiles. All of this was God's punishment against their idolatry. His chosen people brought into the land of promise all sorts of foreign worship of false gods, who taught them various forms of works righteousness? So God punished them by bringing them into a foreign land where these false gods reigned supreme. It was a poetic punishment, really. Those peas. <laughs> you want foreign gods who promise you salvation by your own miserable works? Then have your foreign gods. See what God did? Their punishment reflected their sin. For 70 years then, they were exiled in Babylon before God permitted them to return and rebuild the temple. While they were carried off, their cruel captors mockingly asked them to sing one of their joyful songs of Zion. Psalm 137 records their response. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It's very sad. And so it is that we begin today a sort of self-imposed exile, so that we might learn what God taught them to learn. And this is the symbolic significance of Septuagesima. We turn our pyramids to a deep violet purple, the color of repentance. We omit the song of the angels, the gloria in excelsis, from the beginning of every service and cease singing our alleluias until we gather on Easter, because these are the songs of Zion, For just as God's people of old turned from sorrow to joy, only after they returned to Jerusalem 70 years later to rebuild the temple, so we return to our Easter joy and our happy alleluias and glory be to God on high after 70 days to celebrate the raising of the true temple. Jesus, who was torn down for us on the cross and built again three days later, By setting aside our more joyful songs, our goal is that we might learn how wonderful these songs truly are, if only we reflect on them. By considering our sins and the idolatry of our hearts, by considering the worldly habits and opinions we have formed, and when anyone attempts to correct them, our pride is wounded, we see how indomitable invincible our pride is and how much we need it to be broken down by God who loves us we consider all our sin and we consider also that our Lord Jesus suffered for these on the cross we consider all that we long that we long to finally be freed from in the life to come God's people once reflected on their sins that brought about the destruction of Jerusalem. They had 70 years to do so, and so now we reflect on our own sins that have brought about such ruin and devastation in our own time. For as much as we complain about the decadent state of the nation and the hopeless loss of better times in America, as often as we complain about apostasy, that is the falling away of the next generation, So few Christians, it seems. Or crooked politicians. And treason and incompetence. Well, we ought to consider how this wicked world really only reflects our own sinful desires. And how God's punishments and chastisements against us are also very poetic. In a real sense, we get what we ask for. Or do we live in a world that is worse than we deserve? We suffer less than they did in Babylon. Have we sinned less? No, we think of our sins, our lust, our impatience, our anger, our bitterness, our stubborn ignorance, our laziness, and worst of all, our reliance on our own merit and worthiness. We reflect. We repent. And we confess these sins as the sins that Jesus died for, willingly. We confess that our hearts have been treacherous, and have joyed more in the sinful promises of this world than in the promise of the sinless world to come. These are sins that Jesus buried in the grave when he rose again. We are not of this world. By baptism, we inherited not just a destination in heaven, but a new birth and a new source in God our Savior. We are children of God. Our true homeland is with Jesus. We prepare to return to our homeland first by acknowledging how we have strayed in our hearts with worldly priorities and selfish ambitions. This is what the 70 days of exile reminds us of. We prepare to enter our homeland also by patient trust in God's promises while we are tempted in the wilderness, knowing that Jesus is with us the whole way. This is what the 40 days of Lent will remind us of. Septuagesima and Lent are very old customs. And by these customs, our fathers in the faith confessed that the history of the Bible all works together and teaches the same central lesson, that we are truly part of this history. We are the people of God called to faith in Christ by pure grace. We are born from above by being buried with Christ. And we rise daily by faith in his grace. It is tiring, this life. It is filled with dangers and temptations. I think this Lenten hymn expresses it very movingly. Far off I see my fatherland, where through thy blood I hope to stand. But ere I reach that paradise, a weary way before me lies. It is weary, a weary way, this Christian life. Seventy days is a long time So is 70 years, so is 40. It's a long race. How do we prepare? How do we begin? How do we train to run this race well? So that we might receive a crown that does not fade away. It is by hearing and considering this magnificent parable of Jesus that drives home in such a powerful way what it is that distinguishes us as the true Israel, the true people of God, and that separates us from all foreign religions and false faiths, it is this that we are saved by grace alone, without any merit at all in our own works, but by faith alone in the grace and generosity and kindness of God our Father. Or how else will we begin our race? How else will we even dare to fast or increase our almsgiving and our contributions to the preaching of the gospel? Or to come to church more often, which was indeed the custom of our fathers and mothers just a generation ago during this season of repentance. How else are we to run in such a way that we may obtain that crown than by believing that that crown is already guaranteed to us? How else do we Christians prepare to prepare than by beginning in this joyful certainty that our goal is already won? We have already crossed the Red Sea. We are God's people. This is so wonderful. We begin our Septuagesma, our 70 days, to prepare for Lent the last 40 days. We begin this time of Alleluia-less penitence. By considering the basis and source of every true alleluia. Of all praise toward God, it is that we are saved by his grace alone, apart from our works. And see how Jesus proves it. See the point he makes in the parable, he tells. The master owns the vineyard. He wants fruit. That's why he's in the business. He calls laborers to work. They want wages. He wants fruit. They work for the wages they agreed to. Those who work more should get more. This is how the world works. This is how every worldly religion works. But Jesus isn't teaching us how the world works. He's teaching us how the kingdom of God works. He's teaching us how he rules over those whom he has purchased as his own, with his own blood. He teaches us to want what he wants. He teaches us to want what he wants by giving to us what our labor has not earned. Those who work in the kingdom of God for earthly rewards are depicted as the ones who were hired first. They work hard. They bear the heat of the day and have much to boast in before men. But before God, they have received only that which they can enjoy on earth before they're told to go their way. Those who work in the kingdom of God for heavenly rewards are depicted as the ones hired at the last hour. And this isn't a chronological point. They also received an earthly reward. They each received a denarius, but they did not work for it. That's the point. They had little to boast in, nothing really. They enjoyed the cool evening. Whether you are a lifelong Christian or an adult convert, whether your life has been very hard or relatively carefree, whether you have done much good or much evil, Your labor as a Christian in God's kingdom is done under the shade of the cross and always in close sight of the end of the day. That's the point. This means your sins are forgiven and heaven is always near. And this is because you are not saved or rewarded or even appreciated or valued by God. On account of how much you do, you are saved by grace. You are saved by the labor of Christ who invites you who labor and are heavy laden By sin in your hearts and nothing in your hands, he invites you to find rest in him. He who has run our race through exile, temptation, death, persecution, and into the life eternal, which he opens up for us. He gives it to us not to earn our keep, but to bear fruit, to carry fruits of good works and praise that he himself has caused to grow. We desire fruit because He desires fruit, and we want what He wants. We speak much about what we're saved from, but this is important. We're saved from hell, yes. But what are we saved for? Dear Christians, we are saved for this. And focusing your mind on this will lead you towards and through the most pleasant season of penitence. We are saved for this purpose that we may be his, his workmanship, his laborers, and that we may bear fruit in patience now through faith until we bear fruit in pure joy when our race is run. But even then, we won't stop running, but we'll never tire. Even then, our work will never end, but it will be always fruitful, never in vain, and forever pure joy, for all our work will be allowed, and enduring alleluia that gives praise to God. So for now, we begin our race of Septuagesima and Lent. Or else we just pick up the pace by returning where we began. If it is hard, that's because of sin. But our sin is forgiven. Our salvation is found where through no merit of our own, Jesus called the idle and fruitless to enter into his vineyard in baptism. He washes us clean. He makes us new every morning. So return to where you accomplish nothing. Return to where Jesus gives you everything. Return to him who is your rest, your peace, your joy. Let us pray. Lord, in thy nail prints, let me read that thou to save me hast decreed, and grant that in thine open side my troubled soul may ever hide. Since thou hast died, the pure, the just, I take my homeward way in trust. The gates of heaven, Lord, open wide, when here I may no more abide. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life.